This is Steve with Restless the Podcast, and this is Press On. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. This is called Nation Shall Rise Against Nation. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24, Jesus is speaking to his disciples on the Mount of Olives. It is known as the Olivet Discourse and is the longest of his sermons recorded in the New Testament. The context of his message is different than all others, and the tone should give us pause. He foretells of many things that are to come regarding the future of Israel. At one point, he states that in the last days, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. At first glance, given the history of conflicts in the Middle East, and even now as war rages, the statement does not seem out of place. But we must set aside our Western world way of thinking to discover what Jesus is communicating in this private conversation that we can listen in on. What then does it mean that nations shall rise against nation? Another usage of the word nation comes from the Greek word translated as group, is ethnos, a group of people united by kinship, culture, or traditions. Other meanings of ethnos include a group or a multitude that is smaller in nature than that of a kingdom, which includes the word king, who rules over a larger group of people. Today in the United States, gangs are fighting other gangs. There is racial violence. Worldwide, including in the United States, anti-Semitic groups are rising up and terrorizing Jews. In the Muslim world, factions are fighting factions, and they've been doing that for some time. The group versus group mentality is intensifying around the world. While it is increasing, it's not new. In the Old Testament book of Isaiah 19, we read this, I will stir up Egyptians against Egyptians, and they will fight each against another and each against his neighbor, city against city, kingdom against kingdom. From the extra-biblical work, the book of Jubilees, we read this, And the sons of Noah began to fight with each other, to take captive and to slay each one his brother, and to spill the blood of men over the earth, and to eat blood, and to build strong cities, and walls, and towers, and single men elevated themselves above the people, and first founded kingdoms to make war, a nation against a nation, and nations against nations, and city against city. And all things became worse, and they acquired for themselves arms, and taught their sons war, and began to take captive the cities, and to sell male and female slaves. This language seems hauntingly familiar, and it connects us to Jesus' words in his sermon, As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the return of the Son of Man. The rise of group against group in the world today is unquestionable, yet it comes with historical precedence. Jesus warned us that when we see this happening, to pay attention. Yet, group against group is now conveniently packaged as racism and it's weaponized. It is used as an ideological cattle car to transport the unsuspecting to a place where societal engineering can take place. The hypocrisy, however, is pungent. 
Prior to the spread of Judeo-Christianity, concepts such as human equality and universal rights were non-existent. The assumption was that the strong and privileged had a moral authority to do as they pleased with the weak and underprivileged. Likewise, universal were sweeping judgments based in sex, race, and social status. These biased assumptions were not merely common, they were considered universal truths. Today, the modern and so-called civil world considers these ingrained beliefs as evil worldviews. Yet, the biblical perspective that all people are image bearers of God, all shall be individually accountable to God, and all subject to the same moral code is not only foreign but offensive to the non-Christian perspective, particularly to the progressive socialist movement. Let's be clear that a worldview apart from Christ, despite claims of modern civility, is a world not only capable but it is currently practicing evils against the unborn, infants, children, women, and various groups, including the godly. Claims to rid the nation and world of racism are hollow and meant only to further divide and deceive. In fact, for progressivism and or the color revolution, racism is necessary. Hear the words of Apostle Paul, whose encounter with the risen Christ on a dusty Damascus road forever transformed his life. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise, which is found in Galatians 3. In Colossians 3, Paul reiterates this. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Binding everything together in perfect harmony is not possible in a godless world that rejects Christ and removes God from its public square and government. It is not possible in a church that pretends there are other ways to eliminate racism by embracing the latest in ideological fashion. Jesus in John chapter 5 is clear. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The way the world looks at one another is in fact broken. The way you and I look at each other is broken. Here are the words in 1 Samuel 16. In there we are given a glimpse of the nature and attribute of God. It says this in verse 6. When they came, he looked at Elab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And God's economy Sight is supernatural and therefore sees the unseen, including a person's soul, 
in his heart. Yet the natural man is not capable of this, nor can he discern the things that are spiritual, according to 1 Corinthians 1. When we, through putting on the new self, and are transformed in the likeness of Christ, our vision in time too shall change, as we look at people's hearts rather than their outer appearance. Paul reminds us of this in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. You and I will not enter into the kingdom of God because of the color of our skin or even the flesh on our body. I'm reminded of the baptismal ceremony of the early church where the new believer is given a plain white robe or gown. There is no distinguishing marks that made one gown different than the other. They all were white. It was obvious that they were all the same color. John in Revelations verifies this in chapter 17. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. John understood that they were from different nations and tribes and peoples and languages. But what stood out to him was the white robes, that they were all the same. A mature follower of Christ who has been crucified with Christ and whose old self is beginning to fade away develops a new means of sight. Hear the words of Paul in Second Corinthians 5-7, For we walk by faith, not by sight. Some years ago, the director of a large successful mission for the drug-addicted homeless, and hopeless in downtown Baltimore told me that even with the best programs, facilities, and staff, it's still not enough. That unless there is divine and supernatural change in people's hearts, the chances of them returning here are very high. Racism is not the problem. It's a symptom of a far more lethal illness that impacts the entire cosmos for all eternity. It is sin. Man's rejection of his creator, the one whom gives us meaning, value, and purpose, the very reason to breathe, and in whom Christ we concern ourselves not with the outer appearance. Yet as you see nation rise up against nation, first look inwards and quietly listen as the Savior calls upon your life to return to him, the one whom paid our debt on the cross and invites you to be renewed and made alive. The world calls to an end of racism, climate change, or whatever social deflection of the real problem is like asking for a respirator to be put on a corpse. It may momentarily look alive, but it's not. Let me finish with these words from the Jewish Midrash of the book of Genesis, which is an extra writing. If you shall see kingdoms rising against each other in turn, and give heed and note, the footsteps of the Messiah. Indeed, the return of the Messiah and the sound of his footsteps are near. This is Steve, and until we meet again, I encourage you to press on.